0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. I'm Kat Troyer.
1: And I'm Liz Bronson. And hey, Liz. I, hey, Kat. So I am super excited about today's guests, Bob and Nick Slater, who wrote the book Look Out Above to help people entering the job market be successful. And um, they talk a lot about changing careers. And today we're going to talk about career prep how to pivot, and what skills are necessary in today's workspace.
0: Welcome, Bob and Nick. This is our first father and son duo. Mm -hmm. So we're very excited about that today. Uh, We would love for you guys to introduce yourselves to our audience.
2: Sure. I'll go first, Ed, if you don't mind. Uh, So I'm Nick Slater. I'm the the younger half of the Lookout Above duo, the writing Mm -hmm. team. So I went to uh, undergrad. I was an English major at University of Georgia, then went to law school after that came out in uh, 2009 so i came out in kind of a it's tough job market mm-hmm, really right. tough time i was pretty fortunate to get a good job right away although i didn't love the legal career but that's a different story um mm-hmm. but i noticed a lot of my kind of talented friends were struggling through no fault of their own just like now it was a really tough market mm-hmm. and so that got me to thinking then that there's got to be something more we can do to be prepared for a, a tough job market um you know, I went to, I had a great experience in school and law school, but I, I felt unprepared for the real world, um, mm. both before I got out in it. And then certainly once I was in my first few years, I was totally overwhelmed. Uh, just there was so much I hadn't been taught. And so I, it's always been kind of the, in the back of my mind that if people in their first few years kind of come out knowing more, or at least have resources to really help them kind of hit the ground running in their new careers, it'll really serve them well. So this mm. this book with my dad kind of was the first way I had to to really get some of my thoughts in writing with, with my dad's as well, of course. He's more the voice of experience and I was kind of the millennial or at least mm-hmm. I'm the borderline millennial. So I can kind of put his thoughts and my thoughts into language that people my age who were in the first few, we we said five or so years of their career could really understand. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my motivation in writing the book and then just really helping my peers and those who are coming up kind of adjust and and, and thrive ultimately in the first few years of their career. Great, so great. That's, that's kind of where I'm coming from.
0: Well, welcome. Welcome. We're um, excited to dig into this. Cool. So, Bob, please, please, you've got the spotlight now.
3: Sure. Thanks. Uh, As Nick said, I I was intended to be the voice of experience in our book. As the old saying goes, uh, it takes 20 years to have 20 years of experience. (laughs) Unfortunately for me, it's kind of depressing. That's 40 years. Hard to believe I started work in nineteen eighty. But I was a trial lawyer for about eight years, and I did a total career pivot, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit today. Uh, a, a traumatic one, but a, a good one. And, then, and I had the privilege to, I've been in the real estate business ever since, commercial real estate development, management, investment. And I've had the privilege and the fun of really being involved in two real estate companies of national scale. Uh, one, I got to do the roadshow and took Avalon Bay public. Oh, yeah, it was really fun. And then that was in 1993. And then after a long career there, I joined a private company and we tried to help turn a private company into the same kind of platforms and systems and people that a good public company would have. So that's sort of my background. And I've always wanted to write a book for young people. I've got three sons and it was sort of writing to them, you know, and that I could have a son be a partner with me, bring a totally different perspective to the book was really fun. So uh, that's my intro.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, welcome to you both. Thank you. So in your book, you talk about critical workplace skills. What what do you see are the critical workplace skills that you see across industries and office spaces?
2: Sure. So uh, I'll start then. Um, So the skills that we teach and we think are critical are mostly soft skills. So not Mm -hmm. obviously technical hard skills, but other ones. So Of course, every industry has their own kind of unique skills and things you have to learn to succeed in that industry. We couldn't pretend to know them all. So that's not what we're here for. We're here for the other skills, the more um, interpersonal skills. Mm -hmm. So we're not the biggest stats guys in the world. But of course, writing our book, we had to do some research. So there's something called the National Soft Skills Institute, which Mm -hmm. might not surprise you. They're all about advocating for soft skills. They think they're very important. (laughs) So (laughs) of course they do, but we would agree, but they think that 85% they've and surveyed, you know, across the country, kind of big businesses across the country. And they think that soft skills are kind of, they account for 85% of the success in business, which is staggeringly high. And I'm not sure exactly the methodology behind it, but the bottom line is they think soft skills are critically important and so do we. Mm -hmm. And so those are the skills that we think echo across almost all industries. And so we kind of, We had to pick and choose, but we boiled them down to just a few um, because our book couldn't be endless. And they were uh, (laughs) writing, so presenting, public speaking or presenting, selling or pitching your ideas, uh, leading and advocating. And we talk about other stuff as well, but those are really the core skills from our book. And there's other ones that we touch on as well, like contracting and negotiating, which are a little more nitty gritty. We think they're important, but they're not the core soft skills, at least Mm -hmm. according to us. Dad, what do you think?
3: Yeah, and there was one up actually the first chapter in the book is called yeah. contributing. True. Sure, so we right. get everyone a verb and contributing, it's really how to add value in a company. Mm-hmm. Really, the book is trying to help young people defined as those in the first five years or so after MBA school or law school or college. How yeah, do you stand out? Well. How do you differentiate yourself? How do you stand out in the workforce? And so that's that's really the thesis of the book. And we're trying to help people. And it's not a motivational book. It's more of a skills book, as Nick said. So we took those six core skills and then we wrote, and that's really what we focused on. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping the the National Soft Skills Institute knows what they're talking about. (laughs) I I swear we didn't make that up. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I like that you guys lead with contribution Mm -hmm. because I think that everyone wants to make a contribution in their career, and especially when you get started. So I I like Mm -hmm. that that's where you lead. You want to talk a little bit more about that?
2: I think so too, and that's. It's funny that you say that, and I'm glad you do because we went through a lot of push and pull on where to order our chapters, kind of like I imagine bands do when they're putting their track list together. Playlist, so, yeah. playlist, right? Exactly. So I, I remember that the first chapter we wrote was definitely not contribute. I think it was right. Uh, I'm not sure why exactly that was, but we had to start somewhere. But mm-hmm. we thought that contribute, like, kind of like you said, was the way to start because. Whatever you want to do when you're in your first couple of years at work, you want to contribute. You want to keep your job. You want to do well, whether, you know, writing and presenting, all the other stuff goes into contributing. But really, the bottom line is you've got to contribute. You've got to produce. So that's first, and I think it's first for a reason.
1: But I think it's also good to know, especially when you're new in career, when, like, I was told in one of my first me- corporate meetings ever, my boss, we were going in, he goes, listen, don't talk. And I was like, all right. And the reason was, is because so many people are like, me, 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 you know, and they don't have a lot to contribute. And so they need to learn to read for the room and learn where they can add. And then as they build expertise, contribute more. And I think there's a real skill there around learning where your contribution is needed and where you're overstepping.
2: Absolutely, like, I agree. Like the eager
1: junior jet, as you will. Yeah.
2: yeah, I saw that in law as well. You can yeah. contributing doesn't just mean you're you're raising your hand and, and shouting or you want to be heard at all times. Mm-hmm. That's just mm-hmm. making noise. I think.
3: Yeah, and Liz, exactly. I, I, I've got a comment on that because sure. I've seen I've seen bosses at both ends of the scale, mm-hmm. and I had I had one friend who said when he took a leadership position, somebody told him, "Don't make any his boss told do 'Don't make any major decisions for three to six months.'" I want you to really listen and learn sort of the perspective you just mentioned. Yep. And then I had another boss who would come to me and saying, you know, so-and-so didn't speak in a meeting. Mm-hmm. What are they doing here? They're not contributing. And, you know, the pushback, well, you know, they, they just put their purse down on Monday. They're they're <laughs> listening and learning. Give them, give them some time. But well, and even had the idea that somebody shouldn't be paid for the first 60 days because they couldn't really <laughs> contribute. You know, just so
1: oh that's gonna
3: go well right, not, yeah, right. Not the most enlightened view but um, but a, a wonderful leader but just different perspectives so I mm-hmm. think it, I think it's really interesting where, where you fall out because I know when I switched from law to real estate I would sit there in meetings when people were going over blueprints and I didn't say anything sort of like you were talking about and mm-hmm. I just wasn't going to talk to talk and I trusted they made they felt they made a good decision I would add value when I was ready and able to. And that worked out fine, but I think I would err on that side. Then, rather than rush to make decisions and just try to add value the second you get there,
2: mm-hmm. right? Especially in the first couple of years. Sorry, when you really there's just no way you can know what you're doing yet. I sure didn't. So it's great to have confidence, but don't don't assume like you're ready to and expected to contribute. You know, big ideas, big decisions right off the bat. I think.
0: I think that uh, you guys bring up a good point around, you know, what leaders expect, right? Two different Mm -hmm. situations. Someone wants someone contributing immediately. Someone, maybe more wisely, wants someone to kind of, you know, learn how to read the room and Mm -hmm. learn a little bit more before they start contributing. So I think that you bring up something for, you know, for people who are new to their career, you know, you might want to find out who it is that you're reporting up to and what their expectations are. And there are ways to do that. You can have that information before you accept a job if you interview smartly.
2: Absolutely true. And we talk parts of our book about kind of the unwritten rules of the workplace and how you need to find those out and quickly. I mean, mm-hmm. before the interview is a great place to start trying yes. to figure them out. So that's whether you buddy up with a peer or counterpart at work, or you kind of have a mentor or somebody who can kind of teach you the ropes and maybe be like, Hey, you know, this is what is expected. Our boss likes it when you raise your hand first thing in a meeting, even if you're, especially if you're brand new or you're, our boss doesn't like you to talk for three weeks, which is whatever, somebody to kind of show you mm-hmm. the ropes and help you with the unwritten rules, kind of how yeah. they get by as a new employee.
0: Someone who is almost like a mentor outside of, totally. outside of the official employee orientation, right? So, sure, so sure. again, that would be good to find someone like that. Mm-hmm. If you're new to your career, you know, read, read the room and see who you can get information from.
2: I think critical. And my dad is big on the concept of mentorship since he's, mm-hmm. you know, been, has been in business longer than I have. He, and I appreciate it too, from the kind of the younger side, having somebody to look up to and, and guide is important. And my dad is great at it. He does it for some of his students now and always has, I think.
3: Hey, Kat, I just was going to comment. I, I love your, I love your comment because a smart thing to do would be in my situation or any young person, if you've just come out of a meeting where you didn't say much, it might not be a bad idea to follow up with your manager and say, Look, well, here's why I didn't speak. And it, it is intentional. I'm, contributing where I can, but I'm learning. And, and is that okay with you? You know, And do I have a little bit of time here to get my legs under me? So your, your concept of really going to somebody and understanding expectations, I think that's really a key for a young person is you've got to understand expectations and put the burden on yourself, not your boss. Your boss may not be good at it. Yes. You have to go seek it out and make sure what those expectations are so you can meet them. It's yeah. Because I know as a young person I, I screwed that up from time to time, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Same. <laughs> totally.
1: And well, to follow up on qu- with questions, mm-hmm. right? And so, hey, I sure. noticed this, I was observing, I want to, you know, make sure I know who the players are in the room, et cetera. But so and so talked about this. And my follow-up to that is should I be helping in this area or whatever it is? So that to show you were listening, to show you're going to be contributing, even if you weren't super vocal.
3: Right.
2: Absolutely. And to to show that you're happy to be there and excited to be there and ready to contribute from virtually day one. Yeah,
3: Mm -hmm. I know we've we've all worked for bosses or seen bosses who just hate meetings. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had one once if somebody if somebody didn't speak, I would be asked after the meeting, what were they doing there? You know, isn't there something they can be doing to make us money? Because they certainly didn't add any value to that meeting, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's you know that's not always the end of the story, of course. Yeah. So anyway,
1: but with junior people, you want to have them there so they can learn, so that they can add value. That's, so that's
2: totally, they're... totally, it's the best thing for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So Nick, I like what you you know when you were introducing yourself, you talked about like how you didn't really know and and careers and all these other things, and I do think that one place that our education system almost fails, as mm-hmm. I say, is that. We go to college and we may not know what's out there. Like so I certainly didn't know that HR was out there. I thought business meant finance and accounting, which for me was like run, don't walk. And it turns <laughs> out, you know, I'm pretty good at business, but I didn't even know it was there. And so sure. I might've chosen a different path if I knew my options and maybe knew my own skills and where they could fit in different places. My question is sort of there, but to exploring different roles, it could be a fit. But also mm-hmm. you mentioned those five core skills, Where do you feel like young professionals or even students can practice those skills? Because some of them are pretty mature, if you will. How do you practice them and and get them so that you're ready for the workforce?
2: Absolutely. So to the extent you can, I suppose the easiest way while still in school is through either a summer job, summer internship, or Mm -hmm. working during the school year if you can. That's probably the greatest segue. I would also say that some of my jobs during school and law school even were not conventional corporate jobs. And that's, I think, totally fine. I learned some great things. Like I worked at a music club. I was a tennis mm-hmm. coach. Mm-hmm. I also did uh, legal internships as well. And you can really pick up skills from all of these places. I learned kind of pitching ideas. You can do that at anywhere. I learned pitching ideas to the manager of the, uh, or the booking agent of the music club I worked mm-hmm. for. I, I became pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be stuck in a cubicle to be learning some of the soft skills we're talking about. So of course, summer jobs, internships, working during the school year are great, but that's that's not the only way. Also, I mean, mm-hmm. I I swear, I don't know if these were available to me or not, but I, I really thought that I had a great college experience. I really did. But there were so many things I wish I had been able to do or take when I was at school, like even a public speaking course, mm-hmm. um, that would have been helpful. So anything, I mean, I would have taken that in a second if I had known it was there and maybe that was on me or... Uh, you know, I was an English major and went to law school. I feel like I still didn't get practical writing, business writing like I could have. So if I had could go back now, I would do, I would take an online course. I would do something like that. I would do, for public speaking, I would do Toastmasters, something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I was listening to one of your other podcasts with the guy who's a, he travels a lot, like a business travel expert. He was talking yeah. about Toastmasters. That's such a cool way outside of school. And you can be young to to learn how to public speak. So there's really, there's a million things you can do. You can join in a real sports or a. On campus organizations and kind of get leadership skills that way. There's things that you can do throughout your career if you're intentional or through your college career if you're intentional about it to really pick up these skills in addition to just your, you know, three month summer job every time or every summer you have.
3: And I would say, and Nick didn't, and Nick's an English mm-hmm. major, but yeah. I would be the other end of the spectrum. I- I could barely see my paper at Vanderbilt, my first few, and I ran from the English department. I didn't come back to my senior year. I was so intimidated, but boy, don't run from the English department. And I didn't public speaking, which everybody ought to take. It's amazing. Here's a fun fact. I think there's only one law school in the country that requires public speaking as a course. Wow. That's that's law school. That's If you want to be a trial lawyer, they've got trial Mm -hmm. practice, but I think that's really misguided. So... And and another fun fact is Warren Buffett signed up for the Dale Carnegie public speaking course, and he dropped out because of stage fright. Oh, wow. So he came back to it. He did come back to it and finish. And and he told a bunch of Harvard business students that that's the one skill everybody has to have and that you Mm -hmm. increase your value 50%, in his view, is an MBA. You can get presentations that are good, effective. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think, think that is a critical skill.
2: Kind of piggyback on what you said. If there's something that you think is important, but you're not good at it, you're uncomfortable with it, like public speaking is such a common one for so many people. Pursue it in college, kind of where there's a safety net and the the stakes are really low. What a great place to learn. Um, If you can find a public speaking course, great, take it. Or any club of interest or... You know, these weren't available, I swear, when I was in school, but all these kind of like online learning academies and much of them mm-hmm. free, free content. Even YouTube was, I mm-hmm. was a little bit before YouTube took off. There's a lot of free, and young people in the first five years probably know this, so, but free, great content out there where you can kind of fill in the gaps of skills that you weren't taught in school.
1: Well, and like in my college, I went to a large university and there mm-hmm. was commun- there was a whole communications department. And right. so you could find more spoken, more written, more persuasive, like communications mm-hmm. classes. And in those, you are presenting your ideas. So there you're you working mm-hmm. on the writing skill as well as the presentation skills. And that's a really valuable class yeah. for anyone in business. Absolutely.
2: I-, I also feel like, not to shift blame onto the mm-hmm. colleges, but I wish mm-hmm. <laughs> they had kind of, given at least me a more well-rounded kind of business seat. Like I was a liberal arts major, English major, mm-hmm. but so many, even just a personal finance class or like mm-hmm. a classes in the communication school about pitching ideas or, you know, writing stuff like that. would be such a helpful core curriculum, but you're kind of stuck in what you, what you sign up for. And then you also, as a college kid, you don't know what you don't know. So I right. there were probably so many opportunities to really refine my skills or at least get started on the road to developing some, Practical business school. I just didn't didn't know about them, but
1: well, and there's not room. I mean, I think of people True. that are engineering majors, and they have all these core classes in engineering right. and math and sciences. They don't have a lot of room for the soft True. stuff, as you will, right. and so they're stuck a little bit. And wouldn't we be better off if people were given a more well-rounded education? So yes, clearly, an engineer totally. needs the the hardcore engineering skills but the ones that get the soft skills have a lot more career right. choice.
2: Absolutely. And they can talk to clients and stuff too. And I, yeah, yeah. I think that's totally true. And I think maybe part of the problem, at least when I was in school was that the really technical majors and degrees and the, the people in those would kind of dismiss soft skills as unimportant and wishy-washy. And it's just, yeah, I think you need the total package. So I, I totally agree with you.
3: The late author, Tom Wolf, the, the wonderful author, I heard him on NPR once and, And he said that in ancient Rome, you had to be a full Roman citizen to be allowed to take rhetoric, which is the Mm -hmm. art of persuasion. Mm -hmm. But anybody could take mathematics. Anybody could take technical courses. But they felt it was dangerous if somebody was persuasive and can move other people to action. Mm -hmm. And so they limited who could take rhetoric. And his point was that often the people with the technical skills maybe IT skills or whatever, they they come out of college and they make more money sooner. But over time, it's the liberal arts grads, the ones who can do these, who can think critically, who can mm-hmm. write, who can speak, who can sell their ideas, who can sell themselves, who ha- have judgments. They pass them. It may take seven or eight years. Anyway, that was his theory, and I thought it was pretty interesting.
0: I was always happy when I was recruiting full-time to see an English major. An English major. Really? Yeah, because... Mm-hmm. because I worked with some smart people who were who, some really mm-hmm. smart people who were English majors. So that probably impacted me. But, you know, mm-hmm. you know how to present an argument. You know how to mm-hmm. be able to dissect information. Right. Uh, really? all, of the, all of the reading and the literature, it, it just gives you the critical thinking skills that so many people come out of school and don't have. So I, I think I always think English is a great bachelor's degree.
2: I, I like to hear that. It makes me feel better. I, <laughs> I, I was tired of the jokes about, you know, English degree is fun. You just read books all day long, but you know, you can't get hired. It's not true. No. Not true. We do we do fine. It's a great education, I think. Garrison
3: right. right. Tyler of, of Lake Wobegon made fun yeah. of English majors as a regular thing. It was, you know, brought to you by this. This song was brought to you by the Society of English Majors, or whatever. <laughs> if hurtful. you
1: think about it, we're all writing all. Day. And absolutely. As someone who at one point was a bit of an English major, uh, you know, you write (laughs) a ton of papers and everything. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm constantly, whether I'm writing policies or I'm writing emails Mm -hmm. all day. And when someone's writing skills are lacking, it's hard for me to to understand what they want and be, or to know exactly what the action item is. And so having those writing skills. Are critical across the board in any career that you choose. I
2: absolutely agree. And it, it, some people I think don't realize when we talk about business writing, we're not just talking about, you know, drafting contracts or proposals or stuff like that. It, I mean, an email mm. to colleague is, is yep. business writing and it's got to be done well because like you said, you can tell, you can spot bad writing <laughs> uh, right away. I mean, that's not even to get into just oh. lack of you know, punctuation and grammar stuff and Mm -hmm. LOLs and just, you know, when they're not appropriate, sometimes they are, but proper business writing is really important. And yeah, Mm -hmm. no matter what level you're at, it's, it's critical. We think, especially, you know, in the first couple of years when you're really trying to develop your reputation.
1: Well, it's going to make you stand out, right? If there are Mm -hmm. three junior people in the three junior people in the group and Mm -hmm. One of them's an excellent communicator and writer and and two aren't. Well, guess who stands out? So I noticed in your, we took the assessment and, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot around leadership and whether it's pitching ideas or being chosen as a speaker. And for me, it felt like I was taking it at this stage in my career versus what I would have expected my junior self. And so I'd love to hear your answer of why you chose these true leadership Mm -hmm. competencies for people that were so junior. Cause as a junior person, if I'm a year or two in and I haven't pitched an idea and had it picked up, like maybe I was thinking too broadly about like product direction or something, but it felt like, (laughs) like, you know, hitting, kicking above your coverage kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Understood.
1: So tell us about that a little bit more.
2: Sure. Dad, if you don't mind, I'll, yeah, I'll start. Um, so totally fair point. I, I know what you mean. And if I had k- kind of as a young professional just starting out a few years ago would come across that survey, I would have been intimidated as well. You know, the thought of yeah. leadership or even pitching ideas to my boss as a new employee was, just was not what I was thinking about. I was trying, probably trying to think about just keeping my job, mm-hmm. keeping my head down and just keeping my job and not standing out in a bad way. But um, over the years, I've kind of come to realize through talking to my peers, my friends I've worked with and just kind of heard about that big opportunities are happening now, maybe more than when I came along. And even though that was not long ago, but in the first few years of their careers. So, mm-hmm. and of course, every workplace is different and expectations and culture is different everywhere. But to me, it seems like the reality is that young professionals are being asked to do more sooner. So mm-hmm. I, I think employers, you know, especially now that uh, automation and outsourcing kind of strip away some talent, they want their new employees to have exceptional soft skills, kind of right off the bat. They don't want to stick people in the basement doing research or the cubicle, nothing wrong with that, of course, but they need young professionals who can, can interact, you know, with clients effectively solving problems and who might become leaders someday. So I think what we were trying to do with that is say that it's never really too early to start differentiating yourself or to start thinking about leadership, even if yeah. you won't be in an actual leadership position for a few years, you know, if ever. So I'm like, Similarly, you were not going to be pitching your new ideas to management on day one, probably. I mean, hopefully that's, that's a bit terrifying. You're not, you shouldn't, (laughs) but we do think you should start to get in the habit of looking for opportunities to write or to speak or to sell yourself an idea. Mm -hmm. So it's really with the survey, it's as much of getting in the right mindset that opportunities could be coming sooner rather than later. And at least now start thinking about them. Mm -hmm.
3: So Liz, I've got an anecdote for you. So Nick's younger brother, Mm -hmm. my youngest son he's in the first five years of his career. He works for a software company. He leads teams. He gives presentations around the country. He's spoken in London, Dubai, Amsterdam. He pitches ideas to his boss. I think he's been with them four years. Mm-hmm. So, now he, That may be the exception, not the rule, but I, I do agree with Nick. I think employers want more sooner. Mm-hmm. And I do think I mean, he loves it. I mean, he's a good speaker. He's not afraid of it. And so that differentiates him from a lot of people who would be terrified to do it. And of course, Mm -hmm. as we all know, once you start doing it, you get better at it, you get less afraid, and you heaven forbid, even start to enjoy
2: it. Yeah, it could be fun. (laughs)
3: Right. He is now. He loves to go to Dubai and speak. He thinks that's really a fun thing. You know, Uh,
0: we'd love we'd love to get your take on why you think leadership qualities are so important in determining success.
3: uh, Well, I, I guess I would say now, of course, not everybody wants to be a leader. And that's perfectly fine if you don't. And, and for a lot of people, they you know just think about what leadership is. You were good at something, usually technical, so you got promoted. Now you lead a group of people who do the same thing, and eventually you get further and further removed from whatever it was you were good at. And some people don't like that, and they want to get back to what they were good at that made them feel like they were real competent in their job, and they enjoyed it. But if you want to advance, typically, it's going to be through leadership. And typically, it's these soft skills that differentiate. I mean, whether somebody's got the title of a leader or not, I don't know if you would agree with this, but in my experience, the people who, so Kate, the things you talked about, the critical thinking skills, the judgment, who can speak, mm-hmm. who can write, people look up to them, to the leaders as leaders, regardless of their title. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: we're on the same page with that. We we mm-hmm. say often that, you know, we encourage people to be CEO of their own career. Yeah, right. they're, like in the, yeah. they're in the driver's seat. Right. Yeah, totally. and, and, and I think so many people, especially who are junior show up and, and want to, you know, give their power to the people who are mm-hmm. senior, which is, I mean, you want to respect, you want to respect leadership and sure. learn as much as you can, but you have the most control over where your career goes. Right.
2: Yeah. And you're, we, we agree and i think it's just because what we're taught you know growing up you you obviously respect those who are older than you and who have been in business longer than you have and you're the new the new guy or girl you're just happy to have a job but mm-hmm. i think you should have your set your sides higher than that especially now or not to be doom and gloom but there's i feel like less loyalty now between you know employers and employees in a lot of cases than mm-hmm. ever before and so you're you're really truly a free agent almost even when you have a great job and Mm that you need to be kind of always developing your skills so that if something happens like, you know, a pandemic, (laughs) you can, you know, either be the first, you keep your job because you're so good at it because you're so you've gotten all these soft skills mastered, or if you have to go find a new job, you can, you can do it.
0: Absolutely. And, and so speaking of career change, Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about your approach to career change and career growth, especially during COVID.
2: Mm. So Dad, if you're okay with this, I'll start with uh, growth. So our approach to growth actually doesn't change a whole lot. Um, kind of like what I just said, if anything, this COVID business is a reminder that our careers can kind of change almost overnight, whether we're out of a job or furloughed or now we're just working from home. you know, There's so many mm-hmm. talented and super smart, hardworking people who are out of work mm-hmm. or underemployed now, and it's definitely no fault of their own. So I, I think to us, it just kind of reinforces the need that you need to – develop your skills your soft skills especially so that when something like this happens you're ready like i said to keep your job or to to get a new one if you need be so i think developing transferable skills is is critical so in that way COVID hasn't really messed with our views on career growth and actually one positive kind of of COVID is that a lot of us have kind of found some time first of all anyone who's lost a job or been furloughed certainly feel that that's awful and great sympathy for that but for those of us who are fortunate enough to just be walking from home we maybe found a little time that we didn't have with our, our commutes or just not being in the office all the time like in england where i am now you know the pubs and the restaurants are closed so i've definitely got some found time and it's a great time to kind of work on your skills or to network um, whereas we didn't have time or we're exhausted after a long commute to reach out the network with folks we'd wanted to now we kind of can we don't really have the excuse everybody's home and so it's a really good time to do that and to work on your kind of your other skills.
3: Mm -hmm. Kat kind of your concept that everybody Mm -hmm. should view themselves as CEO of their own career. Mm -hmm. And it takes some self-awareness to do it, but we think everybody should look at their job, figure out what the critical skills are and create their own plan. And I really don't think you should count on your company to train you. You need to take Mm -hmm. control Training's expensive. You may have been hired with the assumption that you already knew what they they think you need to know, Mm -hmm. but be intentional about it. It doesn't have to be a long list, but what are the three to five skills you really need to succeed in the job you've got now and or the one you want and and work on your vocabulary, work on your writing skills, work on whatever these skills are. If they're technical skills, if you need to Mm -hmm. hire a professor, I did that once. I hired an MBA professor to coach me in finance because- Where I wanted to go, I needed to be better than I was. When I switched from law to real estate, I went to the community college and took a spreadsheet course because I knew I wasn't up to speed. Mm -hmm. I can't count on my employer to do that for me. So I do think COVID's really a good time, as Nick pointed out, Mm -hmm. to take assessment, take stock of what you need. Maybe it's learn a software program that would really help you if you mm-hmm. do presentations and you were better at PowerPoint and you could do them faster and make, make them better. This would be a good time to hone in, hone up on uh, whatever you think you yep. need to do that really move. So, but you gotta be thinking that way. Then that, that's a lot of people don't, but you've got to be aware that in some sense, COVID represents an opportunity. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. We, we agree with that completely.
3: And some employers have a
1: budget you know, have a learning and development budget. And Mm -hmm. as you said, if you feel like you need more finance skills, your boss may not come to you and say, you know what, Bob, you need more finance skills. But if you come to your boss and say, Hey, do we have a training budget for me to take this finance course at the community college, your boss, I think it will relate to my job here in this way or whatever. They may pay for it, but you cannot expect someone to come to you with L and D opportunities, but you present it to your employer or now Nick, as you said there are so many courses that are super cheap or free that you can use. Truly. And I think anyone in who's between jobs, I love asking, mm-hmm. Well, what have you been doing during this time?
2: Oh, sure. Um, and you're going to get asked that too once you get an interview for <laughs> your next job. So you better have a good answer. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you can honestly say, You know, I've mastered or developed this, 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 these skills, not just I've been, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> playing video games on my couch or whatever. Although <laughs> I'm sure there's a time and a place for that. We've all got there a is. little more downtime maybe, sure. but no, you can. Use it. this really is as tough as time as it is. And we totally get that. It's tough for us as well. It's mm-hmm. also a really good time to kind of sharpen your skills, develop mm-hmm. new skills and really hit the ground running once things mm-hmm. get back to normal-ish, even if that means we're working from home for a long time.
3: Absolutely, Liz. You know. that, that, that's a cool idea to, you get, to get your company to pay for it, and they probably will. And they might say, this, "I agree." Liz really showed initiative by doing that. Mm-hmm. Or you could be like me. I don't really want to highlight the fact I don't have finance skills. <laughs> so I'll just quietly yeah. pay for that myself. Thank you mm-hmm. very much. But you know, that's a judgment call. You just have to figure out what's the best approach. But either way, right. you got to go get the skill.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking your first thought, Dad. It, it, to me, that shows great initiative. I'd be very impressed. But if it's a basic skill, like if you're asking for help with Microsoft Word or something, I mean, I'm yeah. sure there's tri- tips and tricks for Word as well. But, you know, if it's something you should know, maybe you'd be careful. But I think initiative is a great yeah. thing, of course.
0: I think it never hurts to ask. I think mm-hmm. asking your employer about training opportunities is you know, is perfectly acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, often they're going to say yes, but if they say no, that's okay. And and then you need to make the decision, you mm-hmm. know, is this something that I know I need for my career? And if so, you know, are you going to be willing to spend a little bit of money on yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, personally, I'm just so grateful for all the professional development opportunities I've had and I've created for myself. It's, mm-hmm. it's, made, totally. it's, it's impacted my business. greatly.
2: Right. I believe it. It's, it's so important too. And I mean, they are, We're all busy, but there are plenty of hours in the day, especially now it seems like, where you can get an hour in every night or so of learning something new. Even if it's something that maybe doesn't help you directly in work right now, something you're interested in, I think is still worthwhile pursuit for sure. And the the beauty of it now is like, like kind of like what we've been saying. The biggest cost now is more time than than money in a lot of cases, because there's so many free or cheap resources out there. So in that way, it's a great time to be stuck at home.
3: There's plenty to do. If I I could ask you a question for Mm -hmm. fun your professionals do you see companies spending more or less money on training i mean you guys are in the business every day how's it evolving uh, corporate training I, I know covid has shut down a lot of conferences and stuff but just big picture it, it, are people spending more per employee or less do you think
1: i think that what i'm seeing is that people well the conference saying yeah it's mm-hmm. it you know we've done a lot of virtual conferences and things like that but people are asking less to go to things or you need fewer people to be at the booth or whatever because mm-hmm. it's not in person. I'm going to answer your question, but it leads to my next one. I think a lot of people are juggling a lot. And, you know, you. I really like how you all talk about accountability and availability and dependability. Um, but there are a lot of us that are, you know, Running homeschools that weren't Mm -hmm. necessarily planned in January 2020, uh, taking care of loved ones and juggling in a way we haven't before. And so those recommendations that, you know, if I'm trying to keep it together and I've got a preschool happening while trying to do my Mm -hmm. job and not lose it and all these other things like Mm -hmm. I may not feel like I have that extra time and energy. You know, I have time and energy for Bravo, not cell <laughs> class, fair. because but... I am just stretched so thin. Mm-hmm. So, talk a little bit about those competing needs and how they've changed, you know, during this time around, you know, making sure you are accountable and available and dependable while ongoing conflicting needs that weren't there before.
2: Sure, and I and I think realizing now when I said that we all have a few more hours in the day <laughs> now, that's coming from my perspective as a a guy whose two biggest you know needs at home are a couple of English bulldogs who demand my attention okay. sometimes. So I know people have some really serious and pressing concerns at home that are much more important. Um, mm-hmm. So I, we totally get that. <laughs> and so I guess one of the positives it seems like to me that's come out of COVID and and kind of the new working from home culture is that a more balanced work life thing has become kind of the norm. So we talked about it earlier, but dogs barking in the background of a conference call or, you know, spouses walking in kind of inadvertently in a, or through the screen on zoom or something, are they're okay. You know, we're yeah. used to it. It's kind of not homey, but it's, it can be a bit endearing. I think we've all learned to have a little more patience when it comes to that stuff, because, if you're still getting upset with that stuff, you know, six months into the pandemic, then you just you really got to loosen up a little bit. So I think reasonable people have have developed a little bit of a longer rope, which I think is great. So a couple other things, I would I would say it's important to have your your boundaries um, when you're working from home to, as well. Working from home does not mean, although I'm sure it does to some bosses, that you're available twenty four seven. Work hours might be a little less strict than you know the solid 9 to 5 or whatever you have at your work but if, if it's normal for you to have meetings at 6:30 or so and when you're actually in the office then it's reasonable for you to be having 6:30 meetings at home as well so i would say try to make boundaries but as a new as a new employee you're going to have to be a little more flexible probably so and there's other things also this is not a direct answer to your question but and i think i heard you guys talk about some of these things as well in one of your podcasts about working from home like Exercise, meditate, do something before you work or before you actually work. Self-care is important. We totally uh, sign up on all those. Um, One thing that I thought was original to me, which I now I realize it's not, is that I like to, even working from home, I like to shower and get dressed for work. That doesn't Uh mean a suit and tie, but it means I'm in professional zone now. And it helps me mentally. It helps me work more clearly. It helps me delineate between work time and play with the Bulldogs time or go out in London time or whatever. So.
0: Me too. So
2: smart. Yeah. Yeah. I I heard both you guys say that Mm -hmm. after I swear I thought of it, but um, it's a great mind, I suppose.
1: (laughs) Totally. Whatever you need to do, right? And for some people Mm -hmm. that it doesn't bother them to be in their sweats all day. And like, for me, it's my uniform. And then I've got my mom uniform that looks slightly different.
2: Um, Right. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm.
1: And so I think, I think that that whatever works
2: and whatever works. Yeah. And I I think, and I hope people are doing a good job of realizing it, that there really are competing needs now. Like, like you said, I mean, I don't have any children, but you know, many people do. And it's just a fact of life that they're going to be needed to take care of, of course, even if Mm -hmm. it's during a zoom call, like they don't care sometimes, you know, (laughs) I'm sure maybe you guys, certainly you guys know more about this than I do. (laughs) Sometimes the kids just won't wait. And so that's just part of life now in 2020. And I, I kind of enjoy that we're all kind of getting used to that. It seems like it's a bit more, I don't know if it's less stodgy or just a bit more family friendly or what, but that's just the norm now. And I think it's going to be the norm for a while, for a while longer.
0: It makes us real. Mm -hmm. I think it's another one of those hidden silver linings, right? Totally. totally. A little bit more humanness is allowed Mm -hmm. and accepted and Mm -hmm. in many cases being embraced. Sure. I think it, that makes people feel more comfortable and will show up even more authentically to their job. And when people are right. authentic, they're going to be more, you know, more effective and more powerful, all, all of that stuff. stuff.
2: Totally agree. So I, I know sometimes people, I, I try to be careful when I talk about silver linings and, and during yeah. a time when it's obviously so tough for so many people, but I totally agree. There are some silver linings, like people are maybe there's a little more humanity now to work and workplace interactions, which is fantastic, I think.
0: We want to ask you before we wrap up today, what are some of your top tips for new recent college grads to help them to, you know, navigate their career and grow their career?
3: One thing is to, is to be careful. You can't you can't know but so much when you accept a job somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over time, I think one thing you really want to do is is pay attention to whether you've selected a company where you want to make it a longer term thing, you don't have to. I think as Nick said, or someone said, we're all, people are more free agent now than ever. Mm-hmm. But you really need to latch yourself onto a company with values that you like. And, and ideally people that are smart and a business model that really works. Because you know, part of life is luck and you can, you can hitch your wagon to the wrong place that has Either a business model that's just not going anywhere or unethical leadership or just not the best leadership. So you need to be paying attention to make sure you get work to a place that's really worthy of you, that, that you can add value and make a difference. And it's a place where that, that it's going to make it. Mm-hmm. So you do have to keep your eye out for that. So that'd be one tip, I'd say. Another would be pay attention to for the unwritten rules of a place. I mean, what do you need to do to be effective? Regardless of what the org chart says, who do you go to? Who, who's really the Who are the people that get respect and why? And how do you get things done? And then you look around and say, who's succeeding in this environment and what are they doing? Why are they? What skills do they have? What's their tone? What's their manner? How do I learn from them? You know, at some cultures, they're toxic, and they expect you to cut corners. And, and others, if you did that, you would be gone. And so mm-hmm. you kind of got to figure out what are the unwritten rules? Who is succeeding and why? And is this a place I really want to be here for a long time? And, and those are always evolving questions. And as, as your leaders come and go, you may rethink it and change your mind. So, And then things we've talked about on this call. Do I, do I have the skills I need for my current job? And Liz's question is a great one, you know, with all these demands at home, yes, you get commuting time, but you you give that right back because you mm-hmm. you got kids at home. And right. so that is a fair point. But somehow you've got to whittle down to, and back to Kat's point about expectations. I need to really understand the expectations. Maybe I need to do a better job of less and meet with my manager and clarify which of these goals really matter. Can, can we let that one go? What's going to move the needle here? And really put the burden on yourself to clarify those expectations. get enough off your plate so you can really succeed at what you do because at, at the end of the day to use that cliche, you're only going to differentiate yourself if you really do outstanding work at everything you touch. and so be mindful of how much you touch. So uh, sorry for that salute yeah, yeah. Oh that's great <laughs> but,
0: advice, Bob. great advice.
3: Shakespearean.
2: <laughs> I feel like I'm at the globe. <laughs> I'll head back to
1: you. I, th- I think it's also about asking the right questions because you mentioned a lot of different things that are important to explore when you're looking. And I think even more junior mm-hmm. candidates are afraid to ask. And yes. don't be afraid to ask. In fact, we what? love when you have questions. When you are interviewing, you should always have questions, mm-hmm. but you've got to ask the questions right. and get to the meat of the job, the company, the values, the culture, because you are... You know you better than they'll ever know you. So you've got to be the one evaluating, is this a good next step for me? And I think that's what you're getting at there.
2: Totally agree.
0: I think that any kind of interview situation, the interviewee, the person who's being interviewed is actually doing a disservice to themselves if they aren't interviewing the company as well. So Mm -hmm. great advice. Great advice.
2: Totally. Cool. Just yeah, and be honest. I suppose it's like dating. I mean, what's the sense in yeah, and misrepresenting yourself? You're just going to pay for it mm-hmm. later. And heaven forbid you get the job and you right. hate it because it's not what you wanted. Or, yeah, so to be honest, and so just to kind of piggyback, if I may, after uh, what my dad said, I so I was a recent grad not too long ago. So I I didn't know what I wanted to do after undergrad because I was caught up in trying to find my perfect job right away. My mm-hmm. follow my passion, you know, all that stuff you kind of hear sometimes. I had to land it right away, but I couldn't figure out what it was. So I just went to law school for a three-year delay, which I'm glad I did anyways. But So I would say don't get too caught up in landing your perfect job right away or even following your passion right away because the odds of you landing the job you're going to have for life right out of law school or right out of undergrad or whatever, is just infinitesimal. They're small. So I would say pick something you're interested in and, and pursue that. And if it turns out you don't like it, don't be afraid to switch. Have the confidence that you can you can pivot, especially in the first few years. Gosh, you have so many, so many chances to kind of screw up—not royally screw <laughs> up—but pick a lane that you don't want to spend your life, career, you know, your career, your work life in, and and just start over. I think part of the the good, the beauty—if there is any beauty—in our book is that my dad and I disagree <laughs> kind of often, and I I think, without speaking for him, that I would be. My advice would be: that if you find something you're stuck in, and you're in the first few years out of your career, maybe even later, and you you really don't like it then then switch. You know, do it right, do it intentionally, but don't be afraid to start over on a totally new career track. I've done it, my dad did it. We've um, done it. So I might be a little less conservative. Yeah, right. I think almost everybody has. I know when we were researching our book, we did a, a little research. I promise. I, it, it, <laughs> the studies showed that people switch um, you know, they switch careers, not just jobs, but careers more than ever before. And so I I would say you're new out of school, you probably don't have a ton of confidence in your professional abilities. I know I didn't, but have enough confidence to know that, you know, you're special, you're you're smart, you're talented, you're only becoming more skilled if you're doing what you should be doing the first few years. And so you're going to be okay if you need to kind of switch tracks. So that, that would be my advice.
1: Thank you for that, because to our earlier point, mm-hmm. you don't even know what's out there when you graduate mm-hmm. with your whatever right. degree. You've got your, you know, general marketing degree or whatever. And so as you explore and learn and gather more skills, you may find something that's really interesting. Or there's maybe a career that hasn't existed before and is, you know, so you have to stay with the times mm-hmm. and continue to evolve.
2: And explore, yeah, I think. Exactly. For
3: sure.
2: Have the courage to mm-hmm. explore because what you just said that, yeah, what if there's a dream job that you yeah. create? You can only do that if you're skilled and if you're ready and if you have the the courage to kind of take that plunge. But how exciting would that be?
0: That would be the belief in yourself to be able to create something for yourself. Mm -hmm. I do think that all of those skills are so important. So thank you for sharing them. Another one that I think is super essential for anyone at this point in, in their career is the ability and the adaptability to be flexible with change, mm. because it's the one thing we can count on that change is going to happen. And it just seems to sure. be happening faster and faster. So that speaks to your, your advice to pivot if you're not happy, because mm-hmm. we spend so much time in our jobs, right? It's, it's a huge, Absolutely. you know, often more than 40 hour commitment for most folks, right. at least here in the States. And, you know, why not love what you do?
2: Right, unless we're all going to move to Spain or something. Yeah, that's like mm-hmm. oh, an afternoon
0: think. siesta sounds pretty good. About now,
2: <laughs> they'll do it. Last I last I heard, sounds pretty amazing. But I, totally and obviously, it's easier to pivot if you've got some skills and some confidence in your skills. So another reason to to continue building them that all, especially in the first few years of your career.
3: So I don't, I don't know if this is a good thing to end with, but I was riding oh, no. the <laughs> Am, Amtrak. whoa! I was riding the Amtrak train. And they had an interview with Robert De Niro. I don't know what De Niro did to get interviewed by Amtrak magazine, but they asked him, well, what you know? what's the one piece of advice you would give your kids? And it was kind of unusual. He said, well, if you think you want to do something, go do it, because then you'll find out that you really didn't want to do that, and you'll, and you'll get sooner to where you want to be. But so many people keep talking about what they want to do, some dream they have, but they never mm-hmm go down the road to find out that hey you know what it's not what i thought it was i thought it was going to be a great trial lawyer i didn't really like it and, you know but this until you get into it and decide you want to do it then you can't get past it and come out the back end and pivot so i think right. his advice is actually really really good
1: i love that well on that note where can people find you find your book plug away please sure
2: Oh, thank you. I, I did forget for a second that we had a book. <laughs> so that's another thing you can do is, of course, read our book cover really? to cover. I think De Niro said that as well. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bit crusty, you know, but he's got a great taste in, um, in books. So uh, you can find us on the Internet. So we're at uh, BobandNickSlater.com is our website. It's probably a great place to start from there. You can kind of be linked out to our various social media channels. We're mostly on Twitter and Facebook now. We're in the process of building out our YouTube channel Uh, we do a kind of a zoom in our series every couple of weeks and so we're putting our videos on our facebook and our and on youtube so that's going to be continue or continue to be built out so check that out subscribe if you like hopefully we have a blog that we kick out every couple weeks as well we're pretty active and if you ever have anything you want to say or topic you'd like us to cover or just words of encouragement which are nice every now and again you know you can message us on our blog and i should again add or you know, for our, our publishers, of course, we're self published. That um, <laughs> our books for sale on Amazon. I think it's uh, on sale actually right now. For I won't mention to, the price, but it's criminally low. I promise.
3: Happy to report, we have a garage full, so that would be great. Yeah, we, we do. Awesome.
2: <laughs> Don't worry about over, about over ordering. We can.
1: <laughs> great <coordinate>. holiday
3: <laughs> gifts. Just want to say, thank you guys for having yeah, us. Yeah, really, uh, thank really, you so been, much. It's really been fun. We love, we love what you do and you've got an yeah. incredibly impressive array of uh, content on your website. It's thank very you. cool. Thank
1: you so much. And thanks thank for joining And a great jingle hey. as well. Mm-hmm. Hey. Thank you. Thank you both.
3: <laughs> I really like it. Thank yeah. you both. Yeah. All right, bye-bye. Thanks,
1: bye-bye. 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 Thanks guys. This, is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler.
0: Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear
1: from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at Talk.
1: And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show.
0: My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat. And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer.
1: And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beeks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson.
0: Real Job Talk is a tech reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you.